On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Bruins and their free agency choices, taking a look at each of the players that the Bruins signed, including some players that they brought back. We will also take a quick look at the NHL entry draft last week, do a recap of that, take a look at some of the Bruins picks and maybe what to expect from some of those guys. We'll also take a look at the trades and also the opening of free agency around the rest of the NHL, take a look at some of the big deals that were made in the last couple days, last week or so, Um, and then we will get to talking about the Patriots and the uh, opening of training camp, so we'll talk about some kind of early thoughts from those a uh, couple practices the Patriots have had over the last few days. We'll also get to some news and notes from around the NFL as every other uh, training camp has opened as well. So all kinds of stuff to get to on the NFL front. We will then talk about the NBA. We will talk about the draft last night, do a little bit of a recap there, take a look at the Celtics second round pick and what to expect there. And then there were also a couple of major trades yesterday. So we will take a look at that in the NBA as well. And we will also take a look at some free agent targets for the Celtics as free agency starts next week. And we'll also kind of do a small free agency preview for the rest of the NBA. And then we will also update you guys on Team USA at the Olympics in terms of uh, basketball and what to expect as Team USA takes on the Czech Republic tomorrow morning and what that possibly means for them going forward. We will also then get to the Red Sox and talk about their recent play, take a look ahead to their uh, next few weeks of games. The Red Sox did make a trade last night, so we will get to that. We'll talk uh, plenty about the trade deadline that is at 4 o'clock this afternoon. And then we will also uh, take a look at the standings. Um, And then finally, we will take a quick look at the Revolution, who are playing at a really, really high clip. And we'll also give you a small preview for Team USA uh, taking on Mexico in the Gold Cup final this weekend. Let's go. going on everyone welcome to the program it is our 100th episode of not your average boston sports podcast i'm your host garrett hayden it's uh, pretty hard to believe that we uh have hit 100 um you know it's kind of kind of crazy to think about where um you know i started with this podcast and now we're we're hitting the the century mark so uh for our 100th episode we have plenty of stuff to get to um this week there is just information everywhere you know Bruins free agency Red Sox trade deadline NBA draft uh, Patriots training camp you know there's all kinds of stuff to get to uh, this week so um, as always you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, and you can follow the Facebook page and the Twitter page uh, also 
shouting out my um, written sports site, uh, Garrett Hayden Sports Media, that you can read uh, articles. I wrote an article last week about the uh, about five players to watch at Patriots training camp. You get to go uh, take a gander at that. I will be writing another article in the next few days uh, detailing the Bruins' uh, free agency uh, spree or decisions or whatever you want to say, so you can check that out next week. Um, if you're interested, you can also check out my other podcast, uh, Breath of Fresh Life. We just recorded a new episode a couple of days ago, so you can go take a listen to that. Andrew Lydon and I had a good time just kind of shooting the breeze. Uh, it's, a, it's a quick episode, but hopefully uh, you guys will enjoy that. But you're here for sports, and let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. We are going to hit the Bruins and the NHL first. Uh, quite an interesting last few days for the Bruins. Um, you know, I think going into this free agency period that started uh, Wednesday at noon, you know, there were there were plenty of needs that I think the Bruins had to address. And um, have they addressed all of them? Perhaps not. You know, I think that there still remains to be some work done on this roster. I think that, you know, there still remains to be seen whether you're going to you know, see David Krejci or Tuka Rask on this roster next season. You know, I think that there still is quite a bit up in the air, I think, for both of those players in particular. Um, so I think just, you know, starting off with the guys that they signed um, would make sense. So obviously, the Bruins re-signing Taylor Hall right before uh, free agency, also re-signing Mike Riley. So the Bruins bring both of them back after... Uh, trading for them at the trade deadline, and both guys were, um, you know, pretty solid for the Bruins after coming in. Um, you know, I think Taylor Hall obviously put on quite a performance in those last 14, 15 games in the regular season with the Bruins. You know, had a pretty solid opening round series against Washington. You know, did did struggle a little bit against the Islanders, but, you know, as did a lot of players on the Bruins. So, you know, I think it's a no-brainer to get Taylor Hall signed. You know, I think clearly you could see that um, the Bruins got another, you know, bona fide offensive talent. You know, a guy who is, you know, just still supremely talented. You know, probably would be a number one or number two guy on any other team. But, you know, the Bruins obviously are fortunate enough to have, you know, that top line that, you know, Taylor Hall can feel like he doesn't need to be the, the guy. Um, and so I think, you know, he really was comfortable last year. And um, I think that, yeah, there's a lot of concern about that Islanders series. But, you know, I think that the Bruins really were um, kind of out of their depth in that series. Um, and I think it kind of ended up just being a series where everyone struggled. So, you know, that signing made sense to me. Mike Riley made sense. I know there, there were some people that, you know, maybe weren't happy about it. But I will say that I think some people's view on Mike Riley is a little bit skewed, you know, based on how the season ended. You know, when you looked at the fact that he was playing really, really heavy minutes in, you know, a series where the Bruins had to, like, he had to play heavy minutes. The Bruins were short a couple defensemen. You know, you're in a series where the Islanders like to be really physical. And, you know, not to say that Mike Riley's not strong enough, that's not what I'm trying to say, but... I think anytime you're playing a team like the Islanders and you have to put a guy like Mike Riley, who, you know, honestly is on most teams, you know, is a second pair defenseman. I think on some 
really good teams, he would be a third-pair guy. But, you know, I think it just was a little bit too much for him to handle. But, again, I don't think that that's, you know, the ideal spot the Bruins have for him, that he's going to be a guy that's going to be playing major minutes, you know, in a series like that. So I like the signing. I think that it makes sense. It's not anything that's going to break the bank. It's, you know, doubling his salary, give him a three-year deal, and, you know, you see what you can get. Now, I know that there were a lot of people, including myself, that thought the Bruins were going to, you know, go out and try to spend a good amount of money to bring in, you know, someone who can be a top four defenseman or possibly even someone that could play in the top pair. You know, someone like Alec Martinez. Martinez um, re-signed with Vegas, but... You know, there's a possibility that the defense could change a little bit more. Um, I was happy to see the Bruins signed um, another defenseman, Derek Forbert. That was the uh, first player that the Bruins signed on Wednesday. Um, you know, big body defenseman, you know, reminds me a lot of Kevin Miller, except he is left-handed. Um, great shot blocker, you know, averages a lot of shorthanded time on ice, you know, kind of can give the Bruins someone to fill the role of Jeremy Lozon. You know, obviously he's not as young as Lausanne. He probably doesn't have as much of a higher ceiling as Lausanne, but he's a guy that's just knows what his role is, does it really well, you know, plays a lot of minutes. And I think the Bruins are, you know, obviously didn't really have a choice in losing Lausanne, but, you know, I think you get someone who is a defenseman that you can rely on, that you kind of know what you're going to get. You know that He's going to be a solid stay-at-home guy. You know, maybe he develops a little bit of offensive skill. You know, maybe it's a little bit like Jared Genorti, which, you know, I don't think he was bad, but I think you're getting a little bit more in terms of, you know, what Forbert can bring in terms of, you know, the penalty killing, the block shots, and doing all those things defensively that I think he's someone that you don't have to worry about. He's not someone that you have to be like, okay, you know, here's a guy who's a young guy and we kind of don't know what he is. Um, but I think that it made sense to bring in a guy like Forbert. I still think the Bruins probably need to bring in, bring in another defenseman. Um, I just think that, you know, you need to kind of beef up a little bit more. I think you kind of need another extra body, um, you know, when you go into the playoffs and have to play teams that, you know, are going to want to try to play really physical. But, you know, for the most part, I think I like what the Bruins did defensively. Um, you know, I think that there's still room for another move. You know, do the Bruins try to move on from John Moore, who's someone who, you know, hasn't really played very much over the last two years with, with injury and, and whatnot. But, you know, could you try to move him? Could you try to move Jake DeBrusque, who's still, you know, currently on the Bruins roster? So um, I think still some options defensively. But, you know, at the moment, it certainly looks like you'll see Grizzlick and McAvoy playing on that top pair, you see Riley and Carlo together, and then Forbert and uh, Connor Clifton on the third pair. So going to the goaltending, this has kind of been a big um, topic of discussion over the last day or so, um, that people are kind of not really sure what is going on here. So basically, I will try to make this as simple as I can, try to you know give you guys exactly what my thought process is here. So um, Tuka Rask did have hip surgery um, a couple days ago, so he will be out until I believe it's January or February. Now, I know that firsthand a lot of people were surprised that 
you know, he took so long to, you know, get the surgery. But, you know, at the same time, you also have to consider that, you know, once you get a surgery like that, you're going to be recovering for a very long time. And I think that it makes sense to give someone like Tuca at his age a little bit of time off after the season, you know, where he can be with his family and just kind of decompress a little bit after the season. You know, I know people in Boston don't like to hear stuff like that, but, you know, it's just the nature of professional sports. You know, I know that we don't really like to think about um, athletes and, you know, recovery time and all that, you know, and I, I know that we in Boston love to jump all over people that do stuff like that, you know, which is just insane to me. It's a conversation for another day, but, you know, it's, you just probably wanted some time off, and so... You know, you get the surgery, he's out until probably the middle of the season. So um, I'm not surprised the Bruins went out and signed a, a goalie that could fill in. You know, my thought process was, you know, they would bring in an older veteran goalie, someone like James Reimer, uh, Jonathan Bernier, you know, someone like that. Someone who can come in, play for, you know, half the season while Tuka's out, um, and then maybe you can flip them at the deadline or you keep them on the roster for an extra year or two. So uh, clearly that's not the route the Bruins went. The Bruins go out and sign Linus Olmark to a four-year, $5 million annual cap hit. So four years for, for $20 million, $5 million per season. So um, clearly the Bruins went a different route and chose to uh, bring in a goalie who's on kind of the, not the younger side because he's kind of in the prime of his career. He's 28 years old. So um, I think that this move is the Bruins are trying to be as careful as they possibly can with Jeremy Swayman. And um, I know that that's going to upset some people who think that he is ready to be a full-time NHL goalie. It's like he played 10 games last year, guys. You know, I don't know if he's ready to be a full-time starter. And, you know, goalies are goalies are challenging. You know, sometimes you can have guys come in and they play well for a season or two, and then they just go way down in the dumps. I mean, have you taken a look at what Carter Hart has gone through the last couple of years? You know, so I think that's the thought process with the Bruins, that they don't want to be, you know, putting too much on Swayman too soon. And I think, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with him being, you know, sharing the net with Olmark for, you know, half the season. So, um, obviously, after Allmark signed, the Bruins had four goalies, and there was kind of not really sure what they were going to do. So the Bruins end up trading uh, Dan Vladar for a third-round pick in Calgary, which, you know, honestly, I was surprised they got a third-round pick. You know, Vladar is a guy who, yes, has played in the AHL quite a bit, but really doesn't have too much NHL experience. So the Bruins were able to get a draft pick out of him. So um, the thought process there is... If the Bruins kept four goalies and had to move Vladar to back to Providence at a certain point, he would have to clear waivers. And, you know, as much as Vladar has not had a lot of NHL experience, you know, he would definitely be a goalie that I think almost certainly would get taken off waivers. So that was the reasoning why he got traded. You know, Swayman, I believe, I'm not sure why, but I think that he is waivers exempt, so... For the Bruins to bring him up and send him down, he doesn't need to go through waivers. So I think that was the thought process behind trading Vladar. So, you know, what you're going to see for the first half of the season is, you know, Olmark probably will be the starter. 
um, and you paid him starter money. So, you know, you better expect he's going to be the starter. Um, and then, you know, he and Swayman will, will, will share the net, I would assume. Um, and then you have uh, Kyle Kieser to play in the AHL. I would assume that he will uh, play in the AHL or the Bruins. Um, they signed another goalie yesterday, Troy Gr- Grosinick, I think is how you say his name. So he was kind of another goalie that they brought in maybe to kind of be an AHL goaltender. So, um, you know, I don't really have a big issue with the Bruins bringing in a guy like Olmark who, you know, actually had a pretty solid season last year in Buffalo. Um, but I think that, you know, this doesn't tell me that, you know, Tuca's definitely retiring or anything like that. Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'd be, it'd be pretty hard to believe that he would, you know, retire. Um, but I think that the Bruins may be trying to play it safe with Olmark and, you know, getting a goalie who can be a pretty solid goalie. And then, you know, whenever they think that Swayman is, you know, absolutely ready to take over the net, maybe they look to trade Olmark or, you know, what have you. You know, that probably won't happen for another two seasons or so. You know, the little issue that I have with Olmark is you signed him to a pretty hefty contract. You know, and maybe that's what it was going to take to get him, but... You know, I think you could look at it in a good way and in a bad way. You know, I think the good way is you have Olmark who can be a, I don't want to use the word insurance policy because I think that implies that he'll be the backup, but I think it's just signing someone so you have a contingency plan in case Swayman, you know, doesn't develop the way that they want him to, or he, you know, has an injury or he has a tough season or something like that. So you have something to fall back on so you know that, okay, you know, you're not going to be kind of left for dead with nothing in the goaltending department, you know, if Swayman doesn't continue to develop the way that, you know, the Bruins hope him to. Um, but I think the other side of this is, you know, okay, you're you're committing $5 million a year to a goalie who, you know, it's a contingency plan, but... You know, I don't know. I think that some people might think that Swayman is, you know, ready to be a full-time NHL goalie, and, you know, he's not. I hate to break it to you, you know, anti-Tuka people, but Jeremy Swayman's not not ready to start a full season. Like, I don't think we're ready to see that yet. You know, he really got thrown in last year to an emergency situation where he really had to play. Um, But I think, you know, yes, this is what you'll see. You'll see Swayman and Olmark share the net. Tukaras comes back at some point in February, you know, and then Swayman gets sent back down to AHL. You know, I think that that's the most logical situation that you see. You know, I think that, yeah, is there a possibility that Tuka decides that he doesn't want to come back, you know, depending on maybe how the recovery goes? You know, sure. But I think that in, in, that, in that event, you know, that's why the Bruins went out and signed Olmark because, you know, you, you never know what the, what the decision is going to be. So... Speaking of, you know, another situation that is kind of we don't really know about yet is uh, David Krejci, who, you know, it seems like there have been a couple sources that have said that, you know, there is an offer on the table for him to come back or, you know, people made it sound like he was going to resign. So, you know, I kind of don't know what to believe in terms of that. You know, Don Sweeney makes it sound like they're kind of still in a holding pattern with with David that they're waiting on him to, you know, make his decision that for whatever reason and reasons he wants to keep private, he's taking his time, you know, which is fine. 
Um, I think that there were some people that got a little skittish by Sweeney's comments about center by committee, you know, but I will say, wouldn't you rather have him be proactive and sign a number of players, you know, rather than just wait on David Krejci, not improve the roster, and then, you know, he retires and you don't have anything left. So, you know, I think that logically, if David does hang them up, center by committee is almost what they're going to be forced to do. So I just, I'm I'm not sure why that, you know, tripped so many people up. I don't really, you know, understand the, you know, I under, I mean, I understand the fear in it, definitely, because I think the Bruins maybe don't exactly have a plan in place for, you know, someone to pick, someone to pick up David Slack in terms of what he can do, you know, with that second line center position. But, you know, if he does decide to walk away, the Bruins have Charlie Coyle that will probably take up take up that role. Now, is he ready for that? You know, maybe not. You know, I think that he's got a lot of pressure on him already, you know, based on how his season went last year. You know, was it because of the the injury that he had that he had to get surgery for? Was it something else? You know, who knows? But, you know, I think for the Bruins to be at their absolute best, they need David Krejci back. You know, I think that... Um, if he will return, I think you're going to see a really, really good team. If he doesn't, you know, I think that it's going to be a little bit of a challenge to see how they can replace his um, his production. But um, talking about the, the signings that they made, uh, Thomas Nosek from the uh, Vegas Golden Knights was one of the original members of the Vegas Golden Knights. He's been there for the last few years, has been a really solid fourth-line player. You know, I think the Bruins bringing in someone like Nosek to, you know, probably replace what Sean Corrali gave to them. Corrali obviously signed um, a four-year deal in Columbus, so he returns home. You know, always really liked Corrali as a player. was always a guy that, you know, gave a lot of effort, gave a lot of effort in big games, scored a lot of big goals in his time here. Um, but I just think that you saw him kind of become a lot less effective at points last year. Um, and I think Nosek is a guy that, can give you a little bit of offense on the fourth line. You know, I know that that's not a line that you typically want, you know, you don't want like to put goal scores on the fourth line, but you know, he's a guy that put together a pretty decent offensive season. You know, he scored eight, had eight goals and 10 assists in, you know, the 56 game season. So, you know, it gives you a little bit more offense. He'll definitely be a guy that will be on that fourth line. Is he a center? Is he a wing? You know, probably depends on, uh, what the Bruins are going to do the rest of the offseason. You know, do they, do they decide to trade away um, a Chris Wagner? Um, it'll be interesting. So, you know, he'll probably, I mean, I think my guess is, you know, you see him on that fourth line with Lazar and Frederick, Lazar and Wagner, Frederick and Wagner. You know, I think any of those uh, combinations you'll see. And then the Bruins bringing in um, Eric Halla who um, has always been a pretty solid player in the NHL. You know, he's bounced around quite a bit. Um, Spent the last couple of years in Nashville. Uh, Definitely his offensive numbers have declined quite a bit. Um, Also an original member of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, And I think that season in 2017, he had 29 goals. Uh, But, you know, I don't think you're going to see that from him. But I think that he's a solid, you know, veteran player. He's been around. You know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get good effort from him. You know, you'll get a little bit of scoring um, 
and it'll be interesting to see where he's where he slots in. Sorry about the sorry about the wind. Um, so I'd be curious to see where he slots in. You know, I think at the moment, you know, and this is assuming David Krejci comes back. You know, I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see Halla on the third line with Coyle and the two of them actually are teammates uh, from their time in Minnesota. Um, and then likely on the other third line wing, you'll see Nick Foligno with the Bruins also signed. So um, I really liked this signing. You know, I think that with both of these signings, with Halla and Foligno, you are bringing in bottom six guys who are guys that you know what you're going to get. You know, you're, there's never going to be a question of effort with them. There's never going to be a question of, you know, compete factor. You know, maybe they're not going to score as many goals as, you know, Jake DeBrusque has the potential to do. But I just think at way too many times the last couple of years, you know, the Bruins have had to try to try to demand more out of Jake DeBrusque. And I think that, unfortunately, it's part of the reason why the Bruins were let down in the playoffs, that they didn't have a bottom six that could score really at all. And, you know, it, it, it really cost them. You know, I think that obviously injuries on the blue line was a big reason why you lost that series. But you weren't able to get any production out of Nick Ritchie or Jake DeBrusque or, you know, the fourth line. And so I think that's what these signings look like. And I also will add this Bruins team is in a desperate win-now mode. You know, they really have, in my opinion, a, you know, two-year window to compete and try to win another championship. And I think that's what these moves tell me, that, you know, with with respect to the guys in Providence, the young guys that work, work their tails off, you know, I think that the message is clear that we're trying to go out and win a championship. And we kind of can't wait around for, you know, certain guys to develop, you know. And unfortunately, have has Sweeney put the Bruins in this position because of his, you know, not not great track record with drafting, you know, probably. But I think that you're in this position where you kind of need to get players that you know what you're going to get from. You know, you know exactly the type of role, the type of player that they're going to be, and there's no no questions about, you know, oh, is this guy going to perform? Is this guy going to perform? So, you know, for the most part, I like these, but I think it's really, if the Bruins can bring David Krejci back, I think you're looking at, one of the deepest forward groups in the league. Um, if he doesn't come back, you know, I think that you will most likely see the Bruins be a little bit aggressive in terms of what they could do in a trade. Now, could the Bruins still try to move to Brusque? Absolutely. Could they try to move John Moore and a, and a prospect? Sure. But, you know, I think for the most part, this is what you're going to see with this team. You know, you'll most likely see the team looking the way it does on opening night. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see what, you know, what resolves or what happens with the Krejci situation. You know, does does he come back? You know, how long does this decision take? But I think that um, the Bruins were not waiting around this time for a player to drag their feet, so to speak. And I don't mean that in a negative way about Chara, but I do think that, you know, the Bruins and him could have come to an agreement, you know, you know, sooner. And obviously, if David Krejci has, you know, his own personal private reasons, then that's fair. And I think we all have to respect that. But I think at the same time, you know, 
you kind of like him to make a decision. But I will say that I'm glad that the Bruins were a little bit more proactive and said, okay, you know, we're going to go out and spend some money in terms of a contingency plan, you know, if, if, if David doesn't return. I still think he can, um, but obviously if the Bruins are to bring him back, they are going to need to free uh, some cap space unless David's going to take a contract that pays him under a million dollars, which I don't know how likely that is, but I guess uh, I guess I guess we'll see in in that respect. So um, that's all I got for the Bruins' thoughts. Um, if you have any more, you can DM me on Twitter, Instagram, whatever you got um, to find out more. So we'll take a quick look at the Bruins' draft picks uh, last week. It's been it's crazy to think that the draft was a week ago. There's so much that has gone on in the NHL. We'll get to some of the other trades and free agency signings. Um, so in the first round, the Bruins taking Fabian Lysel from uh, Sweden in the first round, 21st overall. So a lot of people were saying that, you know, he's quite a talented guy, you know, right winger and um, someone... someone who is, you know, a highly talented winger. Um, and I think that, you know, he was a player that I'm not sure a lot of people were expecting he was going to be there at 21, but um, that kind of seemed to be a little bit of a theme for, you know, Lysel and Brett Harrison, who the Bruins took in the third round. Um, a lot of people were saying that, you know, had the had the um, OHL had a season last year, he likely would have been, a top 10, top 15 pick. So, you know, clearly the Bruins doing the opposite of sometimes what they've done, you know, is, is reaching. They're doing the opposite, you know, taking guys who really probably should not have been on the board. But, you know, great pick there. Harrison is a center, um, kind of a big body. So, you know, you'll see him probably fill out a little bit more. Um, so he is a center. Um, the Bruins taking... Philip Svedbach in the fourth round, goaltender out of Sweden. The Bruins then in the fifth round taking Oscar Jelvik, I think is how you say it, left winger from Sweden. Then the Bruins going defense in the sixth round, taking Ryan Mast from the Sarnia Sting of the OHL. Um, and then the Bruins also taking Andre Gasso from uh, the U.S. National team development program uh, he will play at bc in 2022 um, and then the bruins with their last seventh round pick taking ty gallagher uh, who was start his freshman season at bu this fall so it seemed like the bruins had a pretty solid draft you know i think that for the first time in a couple of years the bruins seemingly come away with a number of players that you know they feel like can be a good part of their future, you know, in the coming years. Um, I will say I'm not sure if it's very likely that you'll see any of these guys in Boston in the next two years. You know, I think that these picks are probably with, you know, more than three years away that, you know, you have the idea that, okay, once, you know, your Stanley Cup championship window is probably, you know, closed or whatever you want to say, you know, you have some good develop, you have some good prospects in the pipeline. Um, so I think that that will be something interesting to note for the Bruins. Um, so Owen Power, Mike, Matt Benier is taking, taken first 
and second in the NHL draft. So uh, Seattle getting a pretty good player in Beniers and uh, Buffalo getting uh, another top flight defenseman in Owen Power. So when we last spoke to you guys, so we are now moving on to the um, trades and free agency in the NHL. Uh, when we last spoke to you guys, uh, there were a couple trades that had happened. Shane Goss's bear got traded. Tyler Pitlick got traded. And then everything hit the fan uh, the next day. There were a bunch of trades that went down right before the draft. Um, so I'll just kind of go through some of the big ones that happened. Uh, the Flyers getting Rasmus Ristolainen for uh, Robert Haig and a couple of draft picks. I thought this was an incredibly lopsided trade for Buffalo. I thought they got a lot more um, than you would expect for someone like Ristolainen, who, you know, I think by kind of basic kind of eye test, it'll, you, it'll tell you that he's not too bad, but, you know, he's not not too great defensively. So I think Buffalo actually came out the winner in this trade. The Blues uh, trading for Pavel Buchnevich from the Rangers. Um, that was kind of a trade that caught me off guard. I kind of was not sure uh, what the Rangers' motivation for that was, you know, unless they were thinking that they were not going to be able to pay Buchnevich. So uh, the Blues acquire him, then signed him to a contract extension either the day of or a couple days later. Um, Oliver ekman Larson traded to Vancouver. Uh, he was a long-rumored person of interest for the Bruins, but he goes to Vancouver. Uh, big contract. Um, Connor Garland also went to Vancouver in exchange for Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, and the ninth overall pick in the draft. And then another big trade, the Blackhawks trading Seth Jones, or excuse me, the Black, uh, the Blue Jackets trading Seth Jones to Chicago. Seth Jones then signed a big extension, um, which, I don't know, was kind of surprising. I think Seth Jones is a, a solid player. Um, but yeah, Chicago, you know, at having an an interesting offseason in terms of the players that they've brought in. And we'll get to more of that in a second. Uh, the Blue Jackets getting Jake Bean from Carolina. And I feel like there was one other big trade that happened. Oh, I think that was the day after uh, the Flyers swapping um, Jake Voracek for Cam Atkinson. That was kind of an interesting trade. Two guys that are being... Uh, paid quite a bit of money, so that's what you saw there. Uh, Florida getting Sam Reinhart, or I'm, I'm reading these backwards. That's really bad. Uh, the F Panthers acquiring Sam Reinhart from Buffalo, um, and then the, I'm not sure where. Thought that I seen this trade. Here's the trade. So then this was another big one. The uh, Chicago getting. Marc-Andre Fleury from Vegas. This was kind of a surprise. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Chicago looks like um, on, on the ice this season um, with that trade. You know, Fleury obviously winning the, the Vezina Trophy this past year. You know, Vegas, I think, maybe feeling that they're okay with Robin Leonard, but um, it just kind of seemed strange uh, with, with that trade. Uh, the Jets acquiring Brendan Dillon. And then acquiring uh, Nate Schmidt in the span of two days. Tyler, Don Tyler Johnson traded to Chicago. 
the Flames getting Zadorov from Chicago, uh, uh, Warren Fogle and Ethan Bear getting swapped for each other um, on Wednesday, the first day of free agency, Evgeny Dodonov going to the uh, Golden Knights, and then Darcy Kemper, Darcy Kemper going to the Avalanche after uh, Grubauer signed that big deal in Seattle. Um, so taking a look at some free agent, some free agent moves. You know, obviously Grubauer is kind of the big one as he went to Seattle as the uh, Kraken make a big splash in in goal in in, in net. Um, so I think that. You know, gives them a good, solid goaltending tandem with Grubauer and Chris Drieger. Um, it kind of remains to be seen, you know, what we're going to see from, from Seattle in terms of offense. You know, I think that they're kind of missing uh, kind of like that big player to bring it all together. There were rumors that, you know, they were going to offer a contract to uh, Landeskog. He ended up re-signing in Colorado. Um, and so taking a look at kind of the big free agent signings, uh, Dougie Hamilton was the top defenseman. He goes to the Devils. Um, Mike Hoffman signing a three-year deal with Montreal. Uh, David Savard also signing a contract with Montreal. Um, the Kings adding Alex Edler. Uh, the Kraken actually addressing some of that scoring uh, by bringing in Jaden Schwartz. Uh, I thought really strong deal for uh, Philip Deneau going to the Kings. I thought that that was a really smart signing there as they now have uh, two of the best defensive centers in the game in Kopitar and Deneau. The Blackhawks uh, signing Jake McCabe, who was a uh, rumored player that uh, the Bruins were possibly interested in. Um, so clearly, you know, a lot of, a lot of contracts being, being thrown around, uh, yesterday, the Blues signed Brandon Saad, um, Blue Jackets give, um, an extension to Zach Wierenski, um, Keith Yandel brought in for Philadelphia, and then, uh, Dallas making a couple of interesting moves, bringing in, uh, Ryan Suter and Braden Holtby after Holtby got bought out. Uh, the Hurricanes, after trading uh, Alex Nedeljkovic, uh, made a signing of uh, Freddie Anderson on a small deal. And then the uh, Maple Leafs turned around and signed uh, the former Hurricanes goalie, Peter Morazic. So those two guys switching switching spots. Uh, Jared Tenorti did get signed by the Rangers. So that was a uh, former Bruin that played for a little bit last year. Um, obviously mentions Adorov. Um, Landis saw getting his deal to re-sign. Uh, Martinez, we mentioned, coming back to Vegas. So, um, yeah, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of signings uh, going on. Um, you know, a lot of money being spent. Um, Alex Ovechkin, obviously, big news there. He re-signed in Washington. So uh, the Capitals get to keep their um, their captain, see if he can possibly break the uh, goal-scoring record set by uh, Wayne Gretzky. I believe that Ovechkin is just 165 goals behind. That, you know, sounds like a lot, but 
you're looking at Ovechkin, a guy who can score 30 to 40 goals a season. You know, it's uh, certainly not out of the question for him, assuming that he can stay healthy. Um, so, yeah, probably does it for, for the NHL. We'll move on to uh, Patriots training camp. So, um, obviously, Patriots training camp opening this week. No, um, I think today may have been the first day that they put on helmets and pads. Obviously, you know, no contact drills. But um, I think it's been, you know, mostly some good stuff. You know, I think quarterbacks, you're going to see, you know, Cam and Mac have their good days, have their bad days, have kind of their okay days. Um, but I think that there, there should be real optimism with this team. And I know that there's a lot of conversation about, okay, play, people aren't as excited about the Patriots because there's no Brady, there's not, you know, star power, so to speak. But, you know, I think anytime you make all these moves in free agency, you know, it, it should get people excited. You know, it should get people excited that you're going to see most likely, you know, in the near future, a new changing of the guard at quarterback. You know, you brought in a lot of really solid offensive players. And, you know, I don't think the Patriots are a team that they need star power. I don't think that you need people coming to training camp and being super excited and being like, oh, wow, like pack the crowds with with thousands of fans. Like, I think it's kind of the best case scenario for the Patriots because they're a team that, you know, often has done well when flying under the radar. And I think that's exactly what you're seeing this year. You know, maybe there's not a lot of big stuff in in training camp, but I think that, you know, you're going to see a team that is really hungry to get back to being a, a successful team, getting back to being a playoff team and, you know, being a team that can, you know, go back to maybe its roots from when Brady was was on the come up when you had, you know, a good running game, a good defense, and you won a lot of low scoring games. So, you know, I think that there's, there, there should be real optimism with this team. Um, And also you're seeing a rookie class that I think has the potential to be a really good, you know, impact class. I think you're going to see, as we talked about last week, a lot of big position battles that I think are going to be worth watching. You know, if you look at linebacker, you look at all the talent the Patriots have, at that position, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, the receivers and the tight ends is going to be interesting. You know, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, you know, how do they, how do they get utilized in this offense? Um, but I think, you know, it, it really falls down to the quarterback position, you know, as it often does in the NFL. So, you know, I do, and I've mentioned this quite a few times that, I think I do have somewhat of decent confidence in Cam Newton that, you know, he'll be able to regain, you know, not maybe not his MVP form in Carolina, but, you know, someone that can be a solid quarterback that can complete the the easy intermediate throws, um, not turn the ball over a lot and, you know, be able to be a someone that, you know, gives you that added element of running, you know, down near the goal line. So, you know, I think that it, it's too soon to really tell, you know, who kind of has the upper hand in the quarterback battle. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be Cam Newton who's going to start, you know, unless that there, unless there's something else that, that happens that is kind of unforeseen. Um, but I think that that's fine. You know, I think that the reason why you brought Cam in last year was kind of just to be a bridge guy for, 
you know, whoever you, you found in that draft. And, you know, does it really matter if they drafted someone in the draft last year versus this year? You know, I kind of get annoyed when people say, oh, well, you know, you didn't have a succession plan. Well, you know, drafting Mac Jones, is that not a plan? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's strange to me that, you know, we kind of go in that direction. But, you know, Cam Newton's a bridge quarterback, and that's kind of what you thought he was brought in to be. You know, bringing him back this year, you know, maybe was a head-scratcher for some people. But, you know, when you look at the guys that they've brought in in terms of, you know, the, the free agent tight ends, you know, you look at the tight end production, the Patriots had virtually no production at a tight end last year. You know, they had virtually no production, or, well, no, I shouldn't say that, but really did not have a good collection of talent at wide receiver last year. And I think you've gone out and you've improved both of those positions. You know, you're still going to have a good running game with Damian Harris. You're still going to have a good offensive line. So, you know, really it kind of comes down to, to Cam Newton and his, you know, ability to complete passes. But, you know, as we saw last year, you know, he completed a pretty high percentage of passes. You know, certainly there were a lot of throws where, you know, it seemed like he couldn't make throws. But I think that, you know, yeah, every once in a while you throw a deep ball to Nelson Aguilar. You know, that's why they got him. But I think more often than not, you're going to see Cam Newton throwing the short to intermediate routes. And you'll rely on your receivers and your blocking to make plays after the catch. And, you know, I think that, you know, you'll have an offense. You'll have a team that uh, is really going to have a chip on their shoulder to prove that, you know, last year really was a fluke and they're going to be a good team. And I think that they can be. I think that winning 11 games, winning 12 games, I don't think it's out of the question. You know, I really think that if they are able to get off to a good start, they can be a good kind of under-the-radar type team that just surprises a lot of people. You know, I know that we're talking about a different sport, but, you know, much like how the Red Sox did it, you know, come into the season with really no expectations, and they do a lot better. You know, I think that, yes, maybe there will be expectations for this Patriots team, you know, based on last year that, okay, you have to get back to the playoffs. Um, You spent all this money in free agency. Now you have to go out and prove it. Um, But I think, again, it makes for an exciting training camp that, you know, it's really uh, every man for themselves type of thing. Um, So, you know, I think that important to keep your eye on how training camp's going, you know, any injuries that come up. Um, Stephon Gilmore's situation obviously is still something to keep an eye on. Uh, Really no news there um, in terms of, you know, news on a new contract. Um, It is worth noting, though, that he is under contract this season. It's not like he's a free agent and, you know, hasn't been signed. Um, So, you know, again, I think with the Gilmore thing, it kind of goes back to are you comfortable, you know, with the cornerbacks that you have to let him go? I'm not. You know, I think that if you you bring him back in, you know, you're putting together a really elite defense. You know, when you consider the season that J.C. Jackson had last year, you consider the guys that you've brought in in the secondary, you know, in, in, the, in the pass rush area, you know, there's no reason to believe that this Patriots defense can't be a top 10 unit. You know, I don't think that that's out of the question. Um, but I think a lot of it is dependent on uh, Stephon Gilmore's return. So, Uh, Definitely keep your eyes on that. Keep your eyes on the quarterback battle. Keep your eyes on uh, the receivers. Uh, It was worth noting that Jared Stidham will probably be out for a good amount of time. Um, 
because he is suffering from sh- some shoulder and back pain. So uh, surgery definitely is not out of the question for him. Um, but I think, you know, having a guy like Hoyer is really solid, you know, being a guy that can be there for, for Mac Jones, but also just be someone with institutional knowledge of the team. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting preseason coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, Patriots will play Washington on August 12th. That is their first preseason game at Gillette. So, you know, if you're going to if you're going to training camp, you know, keep your eyes peeled for for quarterbacks, linebackers, you know, all the big kind of matchups that we talked about last week or uh, position battles, I should say. So, I think moving to the rest of the NFL, um, training camps are open all around the NFL. Um, Aaron Rodgers will return on a revised deal with Green Bay, so it seems like he will return to play this season. Um, Randall Cobb was also brought back to the Packers. Um, Nick Bosa is most likely, or well, trending towards a weak run return for the 49ers. Um, You know, I think that Definitely, you know, some teams to keep an eye on. You know, obviously, I think in the AFC, the Chiefs, Bills, uh, Ravens, the Cleveland Browns, you know, I think for the first time, they're coming into a season with some pretty high expectations. So I'd be curious to see how they do this season at their camp. You know, obviously, the Dallas Cowboys will be a team to watch as they are on Hard Knocks this summer. So obviously, Hard Knocks, the behind the scenes show of the NFL training camp. So that will be some interest that will be interesting to keep an eye on and then you know obviously it's no secret where where we live and you know who the quarterback is in Tampa Bay so you know definitely if you're if you're interested you know keep an eye on Brady and Gronk down in Tampa Bay you know i think that there's no reason to believe that they're not going to be you know involved in you know being a really good team again this year you know I don't really know if we've seen a team in the NFC that, you know, really can compete with them. You know, I think that the Saints kind of had their shot and, you know, you have the Packers anytime you have a an Aaron Rodgers-led offense with, you know, Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be in contention for, for a lot. Um or you'll be in contention for, you know, a spot in the Super Bowl. But, you know, I don't know what we're going to expect from the Cowboys, you know, any of the teams in the NFC East. You know, I think the West is an interesting division to watch. You know, all four teams, you know, pretty pretty talented. So I think NFC West will be interesting to watch. But I, you know, don't really know if we're going to see a team that really is a bona fide Super Bowl contender out of that division. But, you know, hey, that's the great thing about the NFL. You'll have teams that come out of nowhere and have, you know, really good seasons. So uh, training camp, definitely something to keep an eye on uh, for the Patriots and and with the other teams as well. So with that being said, we'll move on to the NBA and we will talk about the draft last night. Um, a lot of stuff going on with this draft, obviously. A bunch of trades. We will get to that Shortly, you know, I think in terms of the players drafted, I think certainly there were, you know, some picks that surprised some people in terms of, you know, picking a certain player or a certain player fell to, you know, a certain number. Um, But I think all in all, it was a 
it was a solid draft. You know, guys going to spots that I think, you know, can be successful. You know, I think, first of all, you know, Cade Cunningham going first, going to Detroit, you know, not sure how that's going to go for him because I think Detroit's a team that has kind of been very mediocre over the last couple of years and has not really been a destination, so to speak, you know, for NBA players that it's kind of just a place that guys' careers go to die, essentially. But, you know, I think anytime you get a number one pick and you get that excitement of, you know, that top best available player who, you know, can come in and be can come in and, you know, be a difference maker for the franchise, you know, it's something that's exciting, you know, something that can give a fan base like Detroit some hope, you know, and I think that the great thing about Kate Cunningham is he's a pretty versatile guy, you know, he can be asked to do a lot of different things, can be asked to be a ball distributor or a scorer, you know, I think that that, he'll kind of be a guy that can do everything, and I think that should be given, you know, every chance to, to succeed and be a top NBA player. Now, you know, I said this to someone yesterday. I actually don't believe that he will be the best player from this draft. It's kind of a, a hot take, if you will. But um, Evan Mobley at three, I think, is going to be a tremendous talent. I think he could be very similar uh, to a DeAndre Ayton. You know, not saying that the Cavs will make the finals in three years, but, you know, he's a guy that I think has the potential to be a really unique player, you know, if he really leans into being that kind of big man center, because, you know, it's a, a a dying position, if you will, you know, there are very few kind of traditional big men, you know, if you will. Um, But I think that he's a guy that definitely, you know, has a lot of talent and as I think with, with most of these guys, I think they're all, excited to to get started you know i think you have guys who are going to teams that really have not had much to cheer about over over the last few years um and i think that you know guys like jalen suggs in orlando and cunningham and mobley you know have the potential to really kind of uplift some of these teams and you know make them teams that possibly, you know, could be good down the road. Um, So obviously Cunningham going first to Detroit, you know, Jalen Green also, another name going to Houston. He played in the G League last year. So, you know, he's another guy that I think has the right mindset that, you know, this Rockets team might be on the up and up, you know, with all the young talent that, that they've, you know, accrued over the last season or so. Um, Scotty Barnes going to Toronto was a little bit of a surprise. You know, I thought that um, Jalen Suggs is, you know, probably maybe the most skilled guy in the draft or the most, um, you know, guy who I think is going to be really good in the pros. But, you know, Barnes is a guy coming out of Florida State. And, you know, Florida State's always a team that's extremely well coached. You know, they always seem to put guys in the top 10 in the draft. You know, whether it translates into NBA success, I guess, is a different story. But, you know, I think Barnes, again, is a really versatile defender, is a pretty, just a really solid basketball player. You know, kind of reminds me a little bit of Draymond Green in terms of what he can do defensively. So, 
you know, it's not that I don't like the pick. I just think that, um, you know, Suggs is going to be a really special talent. Uh, rounding out the top 10, Josh Giddy going 6th to Oklahoma City. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga going 7th to the Warriors. And then uh, Franz Wagner from Michigan going 8th to Orlando. Davion Mitchell going 9th. And then Zaire Williams going 10th. Um, I really like the Mitchell pick for uh, Baylor. Davion Mitchell is a really good player for Baylor um, in the con- in the um, NCAA tournament. Um, really, I thought was was their best player. Is a really really good uh, defensive player. You know, I think that it'll be interesting to see what he can bring to that Kings team. Who, you know, again, like some of the teams that we've mentioned, the teams really kind of need a fire lit under their teams, you know, to see what they can do. Uh, Moses Moody going 14th to the Warriors. I actually really like that pick for the Warriors. I think that, you know, he's a guy who can be a scorer, can be a really good contributor probably right away. I think the same thing for James Booknight, who was picked 11th by the Hornets. I think he's someone who could come in instantly and give them some offense, you know, off the bench. Um, The Knicks getting Kai Jones at 19. I'll be honest, I really had my eyes on him before the Celtics traded their their first-round pick. I thought he would have been a good fit. So he goes to the Knicks at 19. Um, Cam Thomas from LSU going 27th. Quentin Grimes going 25th to the Clippers. Um, So the Celtics obviously went into the draft with only one pick um, in the second round. We'll take a look at the second-round picks now. Uh, The Celtics pick 45th. So we will take a look when the pick comes. Uh, Just some other notable guys. Jason Preston from Ohio, drafted by the Magic. Uh, Herbert Jones, an outstanding player at Alabama last season, drafted by the Pelicans. Um, Jared Butler from Baylor, drafted also by the Pelicans. Pelicans bringing in a number of kind of college guys, if you will. Um... So the Celtics at 45 took Juan Bigarin, I think is how you say it. So he uh, played in France. Uh, he's a pretty pretty good-sized guy, you know, 6'6", 215, uh, really good physical tools. Um, will not turn 19 until next month. Um, so I think it definitely you're going to see you're going to see him be kind of a draft and stash, as you say, or for, uh, I I don't know what I just said there. Um, But he'll probably be a a draft and stash guy who, you know, you draft and then he plays overseas. So likely you probably won't see him um, in the NBA anytime soon. But I think this is probably the best thing the Celtics could have done. I think, you know, I think that you're looking at a roster now that I think, I think has a couple too many young guys. And I think that, you know, adding another guy to the roster who, you know, is going to need to learn the NBA game, you know, really just doesn't make sense. So, you know, I don't think he sees any time in Boston in the next two years. Um, It is worth noting the Celtics did sign uh, former Marquette and Virginia basketball player Sam Hauser to a two-way contract. So to me, that kind of tells you that... um, you know, Taco or Tremont Waters will be on their way out. Um, so, you know, I don't really have much of a reaction. You know, I don't know 
how much he'll play. You know, I don't know if he'll play in the summer league. Um, you know, he's a pretty solid player in college. You know, I just think with the two-way guys, it's hard to really expect anything. So, you know, that will be interesting. But I think as the Celtics uh, go into free agency and as we start to kind of look ahead um, for the Celtics specifically, you know, I think that you need to get a little bit older. You know, you need to bring in some other guys who have, you know, been around. And I'm not saying that you need to go out and sign guys who are in their late 30s who, you know, aren't going to play. You know, it does, it might actually help you to sign one of those guys. But, you know, I think that you want to try to get veteran players who kind of know how to play in the NBA, know kind of what it takes in terms of the effort and, you know, competing every night. So, you know, Otto Porter is a name that's been floated around. I saw in an article uh, earlier this week, Um, Ish Smith, I think would be a solid addition, you know, depending on what the Celtics do with Marcus Smart, do they keep him? You know, I think it would make sense to bring in kind of a veteran point guard the same way that you brought in, you know, Jeff Teague last summer. Now, I know that he did not really work out, you know, specifically, but I still think that you know, if you're going to go into the season with Marcus Smart as your starting point guard, you know, you don't want to have Peyton Pritchard be the only backup. Like, I think it makes sense to bring in kind of a, a veteran guy. And look, the veteran guy doesn't need to play very much. You know, if you sign someone like Ishmith or Rondo, you know, I think that the thought process is you're not going to expect them to play a lot of minutes. You might not even expect them to play every night. But I think just kind of having some veteran kind of, not leader, well, maybe leadership, leadership and just kind of voice, you know, is going to help some of the young players that, you know, you do decide to keep. I think the Celtics will probably be keeping a couple of young guys. You know, I think it makes sense with Pritchard, Neesmith, Romeo, Langford, um, or three guys that I would like to keep. You know, I think that you probably don't need Carson Edwards on your roster, you know, no disrespect to him, but I think that um, the Celtics should probably look elsewhere in terms of some help there. But he will be with the Summer League team, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Yam um, Madar, the Celtics' second-round pick last year, uh, will also be with the Summer League team. So he, um, according to some in the front office, you know, really improved this season. So you can get a look at him in the Summer League that starts August 8th. Um, but yeah, I think for the Celtics is to look younger, Try to see if you can get a veteran point guard. Try to see if you can get some defensive versatility. Um, and also see, you know, what you can get scoring off the bench. So I do believe the Celtics, their biggest priority is to re-sign Evan Fournier. You know, I don't think you need to give him big money. You know, I don't think it's like $20 million a year. I mean, I think you can get him signed 17 18 a year um, for, you know, three, four years. You know, I think that, yeah, there's some people that, don't believe he was very good, but, you know, he, he has a skill set that's similar to, you know, Hayward's in terms of the scoring, the rebounding. He's a pretty solid, um, pretty solid playmaker too. You know, obviously there's a little more to be desired in terms of defense, but, you know, I think most importantly, his skill set is just to be a scorer, just to be a guy that can get, you know, buckets really whenever you ask him to. So, I think that should be a priority, you know, if the Celtics do decide to give um, an extension to Robert Williams. I think that that makes sense. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I think that you probably can get a couple of roster spots, you know, guys that you could sign. Um, you may see a trade possibility the Celtics use Tristan Thompson in a trade. I really wouldn't be surprised. Um, they could use Langford, you know, although he's a guy I would like to keep. But, you know, I think that I've, you know, confidence in Brad Stevens that he can make the right moves, you know, has already made a couple moves that I thought were, were really, really smart in terms of the trade for Kemba and then bringing in Udoka. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of questions for the Celtics and free agency, but, you know, I think that you make the right moves, you can put together uh, somewhat of a decent team. You know, I don't think that no matter who you bring in, I don't think you're going to be having an off season. that's going to set the world on fire. You know, it's not going to be an off season that you're going to say, Oh wow. Like they went out and got, you know, Bradley Beal, they're a finals contender. And, and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think that they should be a lot better this season. You know, I think that we'll see what they can do in the offseason, improving the roster. But I think just getting a different a different coach, new perspective on that bench, you know, might just do this team wonders. You know, I really think that they could have a really good season next year. You know, obviously, I don't think that they'll finish first in the East. I'm not saying anything like that. But I think that you'll see a season that will be drastically better, and I think that they'll be more enjoyable to watch. Um, so that's probably that's probably what I got for the Celtics. Um, in terms of other moves around the NBA, obviously the league went crazy with a couple of big trades yesterday. do have some breaking news on the baseball front. Sorry about that pause. Uh, the Blue Jays acquiring Jose Barrios from the Twins. The report actually said he's going to the Twins. Well, he's already on the Twins or was on the Twins, and now he's getting sent to the Blue Jays. So, yes, we'll get some you know, breaking news every so often, probably assuming that there are other deals that happen uh, before we finish today. Um, so I think taking a look at the trades that happened yesterday – um, Ricky Rubio going to the Cavaliers for Torian Prince. Not really sure what to make of that. Um, Derek Favors going to Oklahoma City. I think the uh, Thunder got a couple of first-round picks last night from that trade, and then maybe another trade, I want to say, as well. Um, and then, obviously, the big one, uh, Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. Uh, you know, it, it's it's an interesting move. You know, I think that Immediately, a lot of us want to be like, oh, my God, here we go. The Lakers are going to be, you know, world beaters. But, you know, I don't know if I'd be so quick to say that. You know, I think that Westbrook definitely will be a lot better with the Lakers than he was with Washington. You know, I think that there's a possibility that he can be revitalized. But, you know, a different team doesn't mean that he's going to be magically someone who, you know, does not get hurt a lot. You know, he's a guy that's had a couple of injuries over the last few years and really has had a hard time staying healthy. You know, he's a guy that, you know, the contract really doesn't matter, but I think, I don't know, to, to those people that think that the Lakers are just going to be, you know, amazing, like, I think you might slow your roll a little bit. I don't think Westbrook's really the guy that he used to be, you know, when he was in Oklahoma City, the guy who was, you know, the, the, the triple-double king or, you know, whatever you called him, um, you know, I think that it's 
it's it's a fit that I don't know if it really makes the most sense. You know, I think that the Lakers had a trade earlier in the day where they were thinking about acquiring uh, Buddy Heald. They ended up pulling the trigger for Westbrook, um, which, you know, I think that time, time will tell about whether this is a, a good pairing. You know, I think that it's obvious the Lakers were, you know, going into the offseason really looking for a point guard. You know, obviously there were the rumors a couple of weeks ago that they were very interested in Chris Paul. I mean, obviously they're going a different direction at this point. Um, and I would say that this move actually makes it more likely that Chris Paul will return to uh, Phoenix. Although they will, there will definitely be a couple of other teams that would be interested in bringing him in. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. It kind of, again, time will tell on, on this trade with Westbrook to the Lakers. But, you know, it's clear that the Lakers are really trying to uh, get back to that, you know, championship team and not the team that, you know, kind of broke down at the end of the regular season last year and into the playoffs. Um, but I think that it, the Lakers, whether this is a big, good move or not, I think it depends on the other moves they make. Um, it sounds like Carmelo Anthony might be interested in joining the Lakers. So, you know, he obviously is a guy that can still play a little bit. So curious to see what the Lakers do to fill out the rest of their roster. But obviously that was uh, the big move yesterday. Apparently, um, Bradley Beal is um, not interested in being traded at the moment. So obviously, I think that that could change. But it um, was interesting to see. So the Lakers obviously sending uh, Harrell, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope to the Wizards. You know, I think that Kuzma is a guy who I think needed a change of scenery. He needed to play um, somewhere else. You know, I think that just the idea of playing with the Lakers, playing with LeBron, you know, maybe was too much pressure for him. And maybe he just needs, you know, a different place, a different perspective to be, you know, the player that a lot of us maybe expect him to be. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's an, it's again, again, it's an interesting trade. You know, I'm not really sure what that's going to mean for the Lakers going forward, but clearly, you know, they're swinging for the fences and trying to see if they can get another championship team with LeBron James. But pay attention to what they do the rest of the offseason. So before we move on to baseball, give you guys a quick little uh, Summer Olympics update. The uh, men's team will play Czech Republic in their last, in their last um, preliminary round game tomorrow morning. At 8 o'clock, I believe that the winner will clinch a spot in the quarterfinals, which start on Monday. It'll actually be a reasonable time on Monday. Well, I don't know. Not sure if reasonable is 9 o'clock or, you know, 12.45 at night. You know, maybe it's not reasonable, but um, Team USA having an opportunity to win or to go through to the quarterfinals, I believe that they have to win. I'm not sure how it would shake out if they lost because um, I'm not sure how many teams make it to the quarterfinals. I would imagine eight would. Um, and then in the women's group, they or the women's standings, the U.S. women have won uh, their first game. So they will play, I believe, one more exhibition game or one more um one more like group game 
believe. Uh, France against you and against USA will happen at uh, 12:40 a.m. on Monday morning, so Sunday night, if you will. A little confusing with the uh, time difference in Tokyo, but um, men's will play. The U.S. men's team will play on, on tomorrow tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Um, then the women's team will play on Sunday or Monday at uh, twelve forty a.m. And then the quarterfinals start uh, for the men on Monday, and then the women on Tuesday. So definitely keep an eye on that Team USA with a big win um, over Iran a couple of days ago. Really kind of getting back into the swing of things. Damian Lillard had seven threes. Really no issue for Team USA. Probably shouldn't be an issue for them um, against the Czech Republic. I'd be curious to see how the uh, the group like standing shake out and who they end up playing um, in the quarterfinals and then in the semifinals. But, you know, as I've said before, you know, I think that it's... I know that a lot of us, you know, go into tournaments like these expecting Team USA to win gold. But, you know, clearly this U.S. team is not as talented as it could be. You know, and I think that you're seeing that, you know, other teams are, are just as good, you know, and I think that arguably, I think that that's good for, for basketball, you know, that you're really seeing that it's a global sport that it's not just a sport that's dominated by, you know, the U.S., but, you know, I think it's also great for the NBA that you're seeing that, you know, there are other talented players that go play for their country and play really well. You know, you saw France play really well against Team USA in their first game. You know, Fournier was really excellent, but, you know, I think it's it's just great for basketball that you're seeing, you know, the global game. And I think it's the same thing for, for women's basketball as well. You know, I think that you're seeing that, that this sport truly is, you know, a global game, and it's not just a game that's dominated by, you know, Team USA. Now, I know, yes, if Team USA, you know, brought the most talented team they could, they most likely would wipe the floor with every team because you're talking about, you know, bringing in Anthony Davis, LeBron James, uh, James Harden, Steph Curry, you know, the guys who are the best players in the NBA. But, you know, I think that it's it's a it's a good test for some of these guys. It's a good test for Durant. It's a good test for Willard. It's a good test for Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, uh, Chris Middleton. You know, I think it's an important stage for those guys. Um, so I'd be curious to see how Team USA does. Uh, Jason Tatum had a much better game um, in the second game against Iran. So, uh Definitely tune into those games if you can, if you um, have the ability to wake up at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, or if you want to stay up really late on uh, Sunday night and catch the uh, the uh, women's game on um, Monday. You know, it's uh, crazy with this time difference. It's kind of, you know, throwing you off, but it's, for the most part, it's been a, a fun Olympics to, to follow. Um, so we will move on. We'll move on to some baseball. Obviously, we just got the uh, news that the uh, Blue Jays acquiring Jose Barrios. A couple of trades in the last couple of days. The Padres getting Daniel Hudson from the Nationals. Um, a couple of big ones from the Yankees. They got uh, Joey Gallo a couple of days ago and then Anthony Rizzo last night. So uh, Anthony Rizzo is a rumored... Uh, Red Sox target, I believe. I think he would have been pretty good here, obviously. He was uh, originally drafted by the Red Sox, so it would have been kind of an interesting homecoming. You know, as I said last night, I'm not really sure what the Yankees are doing. Um, 
you know, there's not they're not really a team that's really in the the race for the playoffs really at all. We'll take a look at the standings um, in a moment, but it just seems strange. You know, a day after they got absolutely waxed by the Blue Jays by uh, the Rays, fourteen to nothing. You know, they make a, a big splash, but you know, I'm not sure how much of a difference you know Gallo and Rizzo are going to make. Obviously, they're big power hitters that probably probably will do incredibly well um, at Yankee Stadium, but I just think like the Yankees might be a little too far out of it, you know, at this point. But as I said earlier in the season, they're not a team that you want to count out totally because, you know, looking at what they can do offensively, if they get healthy and start to mash, you know, that's that's a scary lineup that you could possibly have to play late in the season, assuming that they get hot. Um, but if they don't, I mean, Brian Cashman's going to look uh, really stupid. But, you know, it's it's interesting that they, you know, make those two pretty aggressive moves. The Dodgers also got really aggressive. They're finalizing a deal uh, for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to come to L.A. Um, and then, obviously, the Red Sox uh, get in on the action, acquiring Kyle Schwarber from the Nationals last night. Um, so... We'll take a quick look at, at Schwarber first. Uh, the Red Sox dealing a minor league pitcher, Aldo Ramirez. So he will go to the Nationals. So Schwarber obviously had played uh, six years in Chicago prior to uh, signing in Washington this season. Um, signed just a one-year deal. So it'll be interesting to see if the Red Sox uh, bring him back. So it was a pretty solid hitter in Chicago you know, is a guy that's going to hit a lot of home runs, really does not hit for average. You know, he's having his best season this year, and he's hitting two fifty three. You know, that's his best average that he's had at any point in his career. So, you know, it's, it's not a perfect fit because he's played the outfield for the majority of his career, um, is a guy that, you know, primarily playing left field, um, and the Red Sox, you know, I don't think it's been, you know, perfect in the outfield, but, you know, it seems like they've had Verdugo, they've had Kike Hernandez, and guys like that. So you would think that, you know, just the outfield just shifts over, that uh, Verdugo maybe moves to right field. Um, I think that there's a possibility the Red Sox could look at playing Schwarber at first base because that's kind of where the Red Sox need the most. That's kind of where their biggest need was. Um, So... Um, and then obviously he is dealing with a hamstring injury. doesn't seem like he's going to be ready um, in the next week or so. So maybe it's next week um, or in the next, not in the next seven days. You probably won't see him playing for the Red Sox in, you know, maybe 10 days or so. Um, but, you know, a big power hitter, um, you know, averages 38 home runs for a season, has hit 25 to this point in the season. Um, in just 72 games. So he was having, you know, quite the offensive output in um, Washington. So, you know, I think for the most part, I like the trade. You know, I think the Red Sox were in need of another left-handed bat, you know, someone that gives them another kind of added element of power in the lineup. Um, I just will be curious to see where he lines up defensively. Um, I would hope that the Red Sox aren't done. I would hope that they go out and, you know, if they're not planning on playing Schwarber at first base, they go out and address first base. They go out and address pitching of some kind, seeing if they can get a relief arm or possibly a starter. Um, I was, it was rumored that the Red Sox were interested in Berrios yesterday. 
he obviously signs with or uh, gets traded to the Blue Jays. So I'd be curious to see what else the Red Sox do. But I like the trade. You know, I think that it's not a trade that's going to really hurt you. You know, I think that it's something that you do that, you know, the Red Sox have kind of stumbled into contention this season, really not having any thought that this is where they were going to be at this point in the season. But I think it's good that at least, you know, you go out and make a move where it's like, okay, we're in a good spot right now, but we kind of need to bring in an extra bat for an added element in our lineup. You know, it is worth noting the Red Sox have been struggling a little bit offensively over the last couple of weeks. So it made sense to bring in someone of Schwarber's ability who, you know, has a lot of power, you know, can hit the ball out of the ballpark, um, you know, probably use that green monster to its, you know, best effect. So um, some other names, you know, Chris Bryant might be on the move today. Uh, Cubs taking him and Rizzo out of the lineup yesterday. Um, also believe that there is... No, it wasn't Scherzer. It was another starting pitcher. Um, no, you know what? It was Berrios. It was Berrios and Scherzer um, that I was thinking about. Craig Kimbrell is also a relief pitcher that uh, could be on the move. The Red Sox seem to be um, interested in bringing him back. You know, I think that that would make sense. You know, he's had a really excellent season for the Cubs this year and I think could give you another good added arm in that bullpen who, you know, someone who's been here, you know, knows how to pitch and high leverage situations. I know that there's some people that, you know, remember how uh, shaky he was in the playoffs a couple of years ago, but um, I think it just would give you another good arm in the bullpen so that you can, you know, be confident that you can nail down late leads. Um, so we'll keep you updated with any other trades that come in over the next little while, but uh, we will take a look at the Red Sox and their recent play. Um, you know, I think it's, again, they're kind of, I don't want to say treading water, but I think that you're seeing a team that, you know, is in a position that, you know, they're kind of being closely, closely trailed by the Rays. You know, they're just a game and a half out of first base, out of first place. The Red Sox actually begin a three-game set in Tampa Bay, so this will be a really important series uh, for the Red Sox. They lost 13-1 to last night, Eduardo Rodriguez. Um just continues to have kind of a, a disaster of a season. Um, he got hit hard. Red Sox lose uh, two out of three, or actually split the series with Toronto. The Red Sox split a doubleheader the other day. Jaron Duran, obviously with the inside the park home run, and that was really exciting to watch. You know, he's a guy that um, I know it might not, you know, be great to some people in terms of a comparison, but, you know, I look at him and I see you know, Jacoby Ellsbury level speed, you know, he's a guy that flew around those bases with, um, you know, a little league home run, if you will. You know, I know it wasn't technically an inside the park home run because they ruled it was an error, you know, triple and then an error. But, you know, either way, you know, looking at that speed, it's just pretty amazing, you know, gives the Red Sox kind of an added element on the base paths um, in terms of some speed that, you know, you can make a difference and make pitchers nervous with, you know, the speed that you have on, on the field, you know, and also the defense too, you know, can lead to, to bobbles and, you know, guys thinking about how fast a certain player is. But I really like what Duran has brought to, to the Red Sox, you know, it's kind of uh, given them a little bit of a jolt. Um, and speaking of giving them a jolt, it seems like Chris Sale is uh, pretty close to returning. He'll make 
a rehab assignment pitching or well make a rehab assignment or a rehab pitching outing um, tomorrow in Worcester. I believe he might pitch another game. Um, so they won't expect him back for maybe another week or so. But, you know, I think that it's um, smart for the Red Sox to have him pitch as many rehab outings as he can so that he can kind of come back to the Red Sox and be prepared to start right away and, you know, go the full, go with his with his full arsenal. Well, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. So I think that it makes sense for him to, you know, be ready to pitch and be ready to kind of pitch regular innings when he comes back, you know, rather than bringing him back maybe a week, a week or so ago and have him just throw, you know, you know, not, not a lot of innings. So I think it makes sense to bring him back as close to full strength as you can possibly get him um, so that he can come in and really kind of make the difference that you want him to make. Um, so I think that being said, I think it still would make sense for the Red Sox to look at starting pitching. You know, if the price isn't too high, you know, if you can't do it, you can't do it. But I think to bring in another pitcher would make sense. You know, what do they do once Sale comes back? You know, do they move Richards to the bullpen? You know, I think that that would make sense. Um, He's been really struggling over the last couple starts. So um, I think most likely that's what you're going to see is he gets moved to the bullpen um, and you get a a longer look at, at Tanner Houck. Um, so with the Schwarber trade, the Red Sox, um, designated Brandon Workman for assignment. He had pitched, um, in a handful of games for the Red Sox, um, this year after being reacquired from Philadelphia. Um, so that's probably, you know, as much of the, the trade and the Red Sox update as I can give you guys, uh, we'll take a look at their schedule, obviously, Mentioned the three games set in in uh, Tampa Bay this weekend. The Red Sox then will travel to play three games in Detroit and then four games in Toronto. The Blue Jays are back in Toronto. I believe tonight is their first game back in Toronto. Um, so the Blue Jays obviously making the big deal with Barrios, um, but did trade a couple of top prospects. That'll be interesting to see how that works out. Red Sox will play the Rays on Sunday night baseball um, on Sunday night in Tampa. So get to see the uh, wonderful scenery of Tampa Bay. No, just kidding. Cause they play in a dome. Um, but I think, you know, the, the trade for Schwarber again makes sense because I think your offense was going through a little bit of a cold spell. So it would make sense to get another added guy. Although, you know, it is interesting that he probably will not be in the lineup for the next week or so, you know, as he's still uh, rehabbing from the hamstring injury that uh, was pretty serious a couple weeks ago, um, or at the beginning of the month, actually. So, be interesting to see when he can return. Um, taking a look at uh, the standings for Major League Baseball, Red Sox currently game and a half up on Tampa Bay with that weekend series coming up, so it's going to be a pretty big series for both of these teams. Um, the Yankees, obviously, as we mentioned, eight and a half back of first place. Uh, we will also take a look at the wild card standings in a moment. Uh, the White Sox with a pretty healthy advantage over Cleveland with an eight game lead. Houston, five and a half game lead over Oakland, who's kind of um, been fairly quiet over the last couple of weeks. Um, in the National League East, the Mets still hold a somewhat decent advantage, a three and a half game lead 
over Philadelphia, four on Atlanta. Milwaukee still in control in the Central, seven games up on the Cincinnati Reds. And then the Giants, you know, putting together a little bit of breathing room. They have a three-game lead over the Dodgers, five and a half over the Padres. So if we take a quick look at the wild card standings, you know, it is worth noting that, you know, the Yankees are closer in the wild card standings, you know, just three and a half back of that second wild card. Um, the Mariners, though, in front of them, two and a half back of the second wild card, which is the uh, Oakland A's at the moment. Toronto, four and a half back of that second wild card, and then Cleveland, five and a half. In the National League, a pretty good advantage for both the Dodgers and the Padres. Padres are five games up on that second wild card, five games up on the Reds, who are uh, currently the closest to that second wild card. So, you know. I don't think that you're going to see much change in the National League, um, you know, unless there's a big change in the National League East in terms of who wins the division. But I think, you know, National League West, you're most likely seeing three teams from that division make the playoffs. And then assuming the Brewers hold on to the Central and then the Mets hold on to the East, you know, those are probably the, the five teams that you'll see in the National League playoffs. For the American League, I think it's a little more convoluted. Uh, at the moment, it's the Red Sox, the White Sox, and the Astros that lead their divisions, and then the A's and the Rays lead both uh, wild card positions. So, I think that that probably can do it for um, baseball for the Red Sox. So we'll see what other uh, moves they make this afternoon. Trade deadline is at four o'clock this afternoon. So um, I actually thought it was tomorrow, but it is today. It is this afternoon. At four, so keep an eye out for any trades involving the Red Sox or, un, or, or other teams that you know maybe affect the Red Sox. Um, so, before we let you guys go, we'll touch on a little soccer. Uh, team USA, the men's team, is in the Gold Cup final after their uh, exciting one nothing win over Qatar, Qatar yesterday um, in the semifinals. So they will play Mexico in the championship, which I believe is this weekend. Uh, also worth noting that Team USA, the women's team, uh, just won this morning on penalty kicks, beating the Netherlands. So they are through to the Olympic semifinals, which will probably happen in the next couple of days. So um, obviously, wasn't a great great start for for the ladies, losing three to nothing in their first game. But they've uh, bounced back a little bit, and then obviously getting the the win in the shootout. You know, hopefully that propels them a little bit more forward. Um, so good luck to the the men and the women, both those teams. Uh, the men's team did not qualify for the Olympics. Yes, it's a little embarrassing, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, but the Gold Cup team in the final, Matt Turner was outstanding for Team USA last night, uh, getting the start and playing quite a bit um, in this tournament. But, you know, it was huge, came up huge last night. So obviously the Revolution are without him. Um, but, hey, anytime you can play for Team USA is definitely an opportunity that you don't want to pass up. So, uh, kudos to Matt, and good luck to uh, the men's team this weekend. So before um, we get to some more soccer stuff, talk about the Revolution. Uh, currently in first place in Major League Soccer, 10-3-3 after their win last weekend. Uh, the Revs are just... It's just been great to see how well they're playing. You know, really been a fun team to follow. Um, and so the Revolution's next game is... Um, an away game tomorrow night against the Red Bulls, and then they will play in the middle of the week 
next week on Wednesday against Nashville. So the Revs beating um, Montreal at home on their um, during their last game. Um, Revolution have won three straight games, have only allowed one goal in their last three games. Um, but it's just, again, been a really great, really good, excellent start. Uh, Gustavo Bo, Adam Buxa leading the team, nine goals and seven goals respectively. But the Revolution getting some great play from uh, Carlos Heel. Obviously, uh, Arnor Tristesen has played pretty well over the last couple of matches. Um, and then Brad Knighton, you know, has kind of developed in or has kind of gotten into a groove in terms of goaltending. Obviously, had that really tough game in that Toronto loss um, a couple of weeks ago, but he has responded and played really well in the last three matches. So um, that's good news for the Revolution. Hopefully, Matt Turner, you know, will get back sometime soon as the Revolution play Nashville and Philadelphia coming in the next couple of weeks. So <clears throat> the Revolution, 33 points, still leading Major League Soccer. And just um, it's just great following this team and, you know, giving yet another, you know, team that could win a championship in Boston. Uh, but as, as crazy as it sounds, the Revolution are uh, way overdue for a championship. I know that sounds insane. You know, we're from Boston where, you know, winning championships is like, is just like, you know, anything. You know, I've been lucky enough to to grow up, you know, being my 25 years old, you know, growing up with championships. You know, I was six when the Patriots won um, their first Super Bowl and that kind of kick-started everything. So, you know, championships is, is kind of all I know. But the revolution of, not been a team that's been able to take advantage of that, but things seem to be headed in the right direction with the Revolution bringing in, you know, some really good players. You know, Carlos Heel has been one of the best players in Major League Soccer. Gustavo Bo is um, scoring goals at a, at, at a rate that we're familiar with, with nine goals already, I think two off the, the league lead. And then you also, you know, have a guy like Brad Knighton who's able to come in and, you know, be a solid backup when you need him to be. And, you know, Revolution will get Turner back. They'll get Tejan Buchanan back um, and hopefully, you know, really start to find a groove at the top of the um, Eastern Conference standings. Um, so good luck to the Revolution moving forward game uh, tomorrow night in New York against the Red Bulls. Um, then they will play Wednesday against Nashville at Gillette. So um, before we step away, um, I do want to note that um, a really amazing gesture by Adam Silver and the NBA last night, um, you know, selecting the late Terrence Clark um, into the NBA family. I thought that was um, a really tremendous moment. So Terrence Clark, obviously the, the young man from Boston, played at um, Kentucky for a season and uh, tragically died in a car accident. Um, in the spring while I believe was working out for the draft. So that was pretty amazing, you know, bringing his family up on stage and, you know, welcoming him into the family that, you know, you always, you know, be welcome into the NBA family. So I thought that that was um, really touching and really neat that, you know, they gave him the chance to shine that, you know, he may not play in the NBA, but he'll always be, you know, a part of, the NBA family. So um, a lot of great messages from Celtics players um, and the NBA. So just wanted to 
make that last little note as a really great um, gesture by the NBA last night. So that probably that's probably going to do it for for, for me this week. Um, you know, everyone enjoy the great enjoy the weather. It's supposed to be a good nice weekend. Enjoy all the sports and uh, yeah, you can uh, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can uh, follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. So signing off and we'll talk to you next time.